Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And I'm Mike. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> like, do I do an NPR voice? Like, how do I do this? Oh. <laughs> I should always be an NPR voice. It's just like we, we are trying to get we're trying to get a cease and desist. That's that's oh, our really? true goal of our podcast is to get yeah. sued by NPR. Oh well, I can uh, I can make that happen if we want to try. Perfect, and uh, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That that's right. That is right, and uh, and we're here with a special guest today. Uh, a very special guest for this episode. Mike, do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Mike. Awesome. <laughs> uh, for those uh, who are... Um, oh, go ahead. No, Mike. no, it's always weird to introduce myself. I don't, I don't want to introduce myself. It's like, I'm just okay. a guy. I'm just me. All right. Just, so M- Mike, who's joining us, is um, Mike Case. Case, who, yeah. Uh, Case, who has a YouTube series called Mike Case. Uh, very and good naming. It's... Amazing naming where he does uh, unboxing and toy reviews, specifically Black Series Star Wars reviews. Uh, he occasionally dabbles in other toys such as G.I. Joe's and Transformers. He does also bots and shots, which is not necessarily a toy review, but you drinking with your friend talking about Transformers. It, it's essentially a Transformers based podcast where heavy drinking is involved. Yeah, that's about right. Right. Nice. So there's there are bots and shots, there's unboxings, yeah. and there is. Uh, Star Wars Black Series reviews. That's about right. Which nice. is which is great. So if you're into any of those things, you should, and you're listening to this podcast, so you might be, head on over to his channel and check it out. And he will be joining us. So he was gracious enough, and we had fun scheduling it because uh, Mike is from the West Coast, and we are East Coasters. So Mike actually uh, got on a plane. Uh, we had true. a private CGB plane. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's because we are incredibly wealthy and um, shuttled Mike to the East Coast and brought him into our studio here uh, down down in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, yeah, the, the, I want to apologize uh, for absolutely destroying the bathroom on your plane. I'm so sorry. That's that's all right. We haven't we haven't been allowed to leave the studio since the beginning of COVID. <laughs> oh. So um, we won't be flying on that plane anytime soon. You don't want also, to. Spoiler alert. The bathroom in the studio is already destroyed. <laughs> yeah, we we pre that was also our bathrooms mean. here. <laughs> yeah. Making um, making bathroom jokes. That's the well I go to for humor. So <laughs> we are a highbrow podcast, though we won't um, we won't oh, let that go okay here any further. <laughs> so to get everybody up to this speed we like to talk about what we've been recently been playing so uh mike since you're joining us as a a guest uh what have you been recently been playing yeah so uh well I, i'm always playing an mmo like always it's either going to be world of warcraft or final fantasy 14 right now it happens to be final fantasy 14 so I, I play that every day i just i log in i do dailies leveling alternate jobs and whatnot so that's that's that but i also when covid started i i bought a playstation 4 because I knew it was going to be super boring. It's like it was like February, right before people were talking about things possibly shutting down. So I was like, I'm I'm gonna hit this before before everything shuts That's down. Yeah. yeah. So I got a I got a PlayStation Four and I bought a bunch of games for it. So I slowly played through them during quarantine and whatnot. So I just finished Final Fantasy VII uh, remake. So that was that was fun. Nice. Yeah. I think next is going to be Lost Horizon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Horizon, Horizon Lost Dawn. That that's the. One. Oh yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good game. 
I that's that's the one that uses the technology. Horizon Zero Dawn is the one that uses the technology that only puts what you can what's getting rendered in front of you at the same time. As I that. think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it that's like how they... it like part renders. So like when you spin and look, it re-renders and stuff like that. It's just because yeah. the game is very graphically massive, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... in order to like allow computers to actually do something with it. Well, that's fun. And you're you so you finished uh, the remake of Final Fantasy. Well, it's and it's, you, it's you... only like a third of the game. So oh. episodic gaming. Yeah, it is. Uh, so that that was <laughs> like a, Sonic the I, I knew four. that going in. Like I, I was way late to buying it, so it wasn't like a surprise to me. But still, like when you you're done with the game and you're like, oh, oh, that's that's it. Okay, it doesn't finish the game, but okay. That's yeah. That's I. It's kind of like the Telltale games too. They had all those, and then they each one was only like at least Final Fan, the Final Fantasy remake. I hope it was longer than a Telltale episode of two hours. I, I put about three hours or thirty hours in three hours. Wow, <laughs> three hours. <laughs> yeah, no, I put about thirty hours into into playing it. So that's a, that's actually a pretty solid. And then you're, there's two more. I think so. To come out. I, I think I think they're splitting it up into to three parts in total. Yeah. Everything like we, Zach and I were just talking about this. We feel like everything gets trilled trilogized. Yeah, Hobbit. Like the the yeah. Hobbit. Yeah. Right. Did the Hobbit need three movies? Absolutely not. But Absolutely. but it got it got it. <laughs> I but, Peter Jackson just never wanted to leave Lord of the Rings. No man. <laughs> well, what 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 Square Enix wanted to do was like, hey, how do we turn a $60 game into a $180 game and they figured out a way. Well, <laughs> they, should just, they should have gone to where the, the Pokemon company is and figured right. out that they could just... <laughs> really, they yeah, just I got Final Fantasy Black and then... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All they have to do is release two of the identical games but with slight differences. <laughs> They'll make different, millions. There's different skins. No, yeah. Square Enix needs to stop listening if they are. So yeah, that's um, what I'm playing right now. Well, I guess I just finished playing but, you know, you know it's yeah, the same it's thing. It's recent. Um, so I've I've recently been playing uh, Mafia: The Definitive Edition, which is a 2020 release by uh, Hangar 13 uh, Studio, which um, is published by Take Two Interactive, and it's a, a remastering of the very classic Mafia game that was originally done by Illusion, Illusion Softworks, which was um, released in 2002. Uh, the game follows the story of Tommy Angelo, who is a cab ri- a cab driver, and eventually turns into a mobster. Um, and, a, and a story ensues from there. Um, I hate I, it when that happens. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Tommy enjoyed it <laughs> at least for a while. <laughs> I I really I was a big mafia fan um, when I played through the game back in 2002, and have really been enjoying the uh, remastering of the game. The one thing that really has been just bugging me is that they got all new voice actors, which I feel like from 2002 to 2020, they I, I assume some of the voice actors have to be still alive and available to work, but they weren't, uh, I guess. And so, <laughs> so there's these people that look exactly or very similar to what they looked like in the 2002 game, but when they speak... It is as if someone else is entirely speaking, and that's just uh, jarring to me. And but that's the only critique I have of it so far, which is less of a critique that I have for Mafia Two and for Mafia Three. So it's uh, a fun game. I and en- I enjoy the um the how how they've done it so far. They have changed some things around. One of the missions that I just finished, you have to you have to rescue one of your fellow mobsters from a a hotel. Uh, it's a motel, but you go in. And in the original one, 
you could see the car that the guy was going to take. So before you went to rescue him, you could just shoot his tires out so that when he eventually gets to the tower, the car, his he would drive off with his blown tires kind of thing. So that's what I wouldn't was not able to do with um, the new definitive edition because it kind of just pushes you into doing what you need. Like it just pushes you into the game itself. It's kind of a nerf. Um, yeah. Um, so Zach, what about you? Well, I've recently been playing Super Mario RPG, um, the 1996 game from Square. Um, it was Mario's first leap into the RPG genre. Pretty cool. It was also made by Square, everyone's favorite uh, RP- uh, JRPG company, which we'll talk a little bit more about in this episode. Uh, so Super Mario RPG puts Mario on an adventure to save the Mushroom Kingdom, as as normal, uh, from a giant living sword, whose name is Exor. Uh, and also that living sword, that giant living sword is part of this, uh, group of villains that are called the Smithy gang who are all led by an evil villain named Smithy. So now Mario travels around the, the kingdom of the mushroom kingdom and help defeats enemies with the, his new friends that he makes along the way and is collecting seven missing star fragments to rebuild the star road and, and stop Smithy. It's a great game. I love it. It's one of my favorite, um, RPG games. It uses a timing mechanic during the combat, which is I think is really cool. If you like button mash at the right time, then Mario crits on the enemy or whoever you're playing as crits on the, the person. There's also no random encounters in the game, which I always like, as all of the monsters and creatures that you're fighting are physically appearing in the in-game map. So the only way you can fight them is you have to run into them or they run into you, um, which I, I do like. I'm, I'm not always a fan of random encounters, um, so it's a little nicer when you can avoid them. Yeah, which... A lot of JRPGs have random encounters. Oh yeah, that's like yeah, a... most most of them do. Uh, that, that I think that game spawned all the uh, Paper Mario games, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And I also love the Paper Mario games. So uh, you know, uh, I, I love a good game of Mario, but you know, role playing version. <laughs> so uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, JRPGs, which is a topic that is near and dear, at least to Mike's heart, and is an interesting topic that we haven't actually talked about so far, which is um, always fun to find. Uh, So with all of these, we like to talk about our memories of JRPGs. And so once again, Mike, as the guest, um, do you want to go through and let us know about the things that reside in your brain? Oh, yeah. I mean, most of my early memories of, of, you know, back, back then I didn't know what a JRPG was. I didn't even know what an RPG was. I just, it was a game that my friend got. For the Super Nintendo, it was Final Fantasy 3, which I guess is Final Fantasy 6 in Japan, but growing up, it was just, it was 3. Uh, but we, I was at his house all weekend, and we played through, I don't know how how far we got into that game, because I've actually never come back and beat it. That was, to this day, as far as I've gotten in that game. But we played it all weekend. We got, I would say, pretty far. But uh, I just have a lot of great memories of playing that one and, like, Chrono Trigger growing up, and then it kind of became, like, the thing turn-based battles it was just a lot of fun to kind of sit there with your friends you had to pay too much attention but you still you know it was, it was tactical that so the final fantasy 3 6 was your your first jrpg experience that's the first just, one that i can like definitively say that's it because i don't i don't think i played any of the other ones around the time like i think what final fantasy 2 was final fantasy 4 and yeah i never played any of those i actually think that's kind of funny so like one of my original memories of like a jrpg was uh, watching Final Fantasy uh, 3 6, which is like the magic armor and uh, what Terra. Oh, yeah. And, I was entranced from that uh, opening that opening thing when you're you're like riding a mech or whatever. I was like, this is rad. Yeah. That game, uh, my our, one of our um, listeners, I, I don't know if he listens, uh, this guy named Dan, um, he owned and uh, he 
was six years older than I was. And I was able to like sit and watch him play this game. And it was very um, in enrapturing as it were. And it was, it was like, it was just so like colorful and detailed. Um, I have also not actually beaten that game though. I have gotten pretty far into it. I think towards the end of it, um, I did get like the airship because you get like an airship from the gambler, Seltzer, Setzler. And I fought like, what is it like? Old, old, I want to call him old, Ultima? Umbra, or, Ultron. Oh yeah. Ultima. Yeah. He's yeah. like the tentacle guy. But you, never, the... you never got to like Kefka or whatever. I, uh, yeah, no, yeah, fought Kefka, but I don't know if I fought like Kefka in the like, yeah, there's like final the form yeah. of Kefka. Which is that's a it's a fun, it's a it's a really good RPG. I should probably go back and I think I have it on my phone and like my everywhere. I have I have it on my. I think I have like eight copies of it right now. I just have never gone back. <laughs> like I've got the PlayStation anthology. I think I've got it digitally on at least two different systems. I've got it on my phone. Yeah. Like I just I've never gone back and actually just played it to completion. That's good. That's good. Um, Zach, do you have any memories of JRPGs? Yeah, so um, we had a family friend of of our mothers who had a, they had a Super Nintendo um, and a couple of RPG games. I remember for it, I think they had they had Super Mario RPG, and I believe they also had Secret of Mana. And I remember being really, I liked Super Mario RPG obviously because I was young and new mario but i also remember liking secret of mana because it was it was an action rpg game so it felt a little more like playing like zelda um versus playing like final fantasy and then yeah i think i only played those when i was over there their their house and then at home seth and i had the shining force games for the sega genesis which were more tactical rpg games but um kind of more similar to like fire emblem but those are very those are still very fun games yeah, I was just thinking about Shining Force in my head. I was like, Shining Force is kind of like a JRPG. Oh, it is. It's still yeah. it's very JRPG, but it, it, it just falls more of the tactical, you know. Oh, I also um, got side like, of yeah. things. Yeah, I also got really into Breath of Fire. I liked I liked Breath of Fire. Oh yeah, Breath of Fire too. Yeah, yeah um, cool. I remember there was one like I don't remember what it was, but I was playing it, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, you can meld characters together. So I just I spent I think the rest of that day just combining different characters together to see what their names were and what they looked like so no oh, nice it's a weird mechanic yeah <laughs> sounds like a what was that evolva yeah right oh, evolva. uh so mike when so obviously jrpgs have played a very important role in your life uh since you play one every day as you told us um, but you, you could not have built that love without, uh, I always feel like whatever we love as a child generally sticks with us. And then as we just get older, we just like it more. And then it makes us difficult to like new things, but we still love our old things as much as we like. And hence nostalgia, right? That's kind of like the definition of nostalgia right there. That's why the Star Wars prequels and, are so popular right now. Exactly. And then eventually the, the, the sequels will the get sequels popular in about 15 popular. years. So as a um, child, what what do you think made your, uh, as a child, what, what made you feel like, what made JRPGs important to you, as it were? Oh, well, so back, back when I was a child, so long ago, uh, one of the things they did with video games back then was they made them purposefully very hard because in reality, they were very short games. It wasn't until you got to like with with JRPGs, 
they were kind of naturally long games because of the nature of the game with the turn-based and stuff like that. So while they were fun and there was a story element, but they, they weren't ever too hard, I guess. There wasn't really ever... I mean, sometimes there were hard bosses or whatever. But, you know, if you're doing like a platform game and you get to a level that you just can't pass, like that's it. That's pretty much it. You either pass the level or whatever. But in, in a JRPG, you can, you can just go back out. You can grind levels out. You can go explore other areas. There's just there's a lot more to it than that, so it's a little bit less linear. Um, feels like a like a bigger world. And that's actually why I like MMORPGs, is because you know when you log into a game, like there's just so much you can do. There's a, a whole world where you can go, and there's other people in it. It's not just me. Um, there's a whole other like there's other people playing. They've got they're doing the same things. We're working together. So I like those kind of aspects to it. Uh, when when something feels more grand. Uh, than it than it really is. So that's that's the appeal to me. That's final yeah, answer. I, that's my long story short. Yeah, because that's actually one of the things that we'll we'll talk about later is kind of like the differences between like a JRPG having more of a grand story and scale versus like a WRPG where which is a Western RPG which it may have you like killing rats in a warehouse or something like to build up to a grand story eventually. But JRPGs kind of give you that grand story up front. And are like, this is the problem. Here's this. This is what's going on. So like, I so it's Final Fan. Which 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 one's the online version? Well, it's eleven it's, and and fourteen. Fourteen, right? It's fourteen's the one that's currently being played. Correct. And eleven's like the one that people were playing, like in what is it, two thousand ten? Uh, no. It was really, I mean, I, I got was into it? that around. I think it was like two thousand. I want to say. I want to say five or six. Oh, five or six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the that was like the first final fantasy mmo and so then you played that one and then you transitioned to 14 when 14 came out or no uh, in fact when 14 came out it was awful it was terrible no one liked it you couldn't even jump in the game um and then uh they they basically it was so bad the that square enix in the game destroyed their game like like a cataclysmic event happened and everything blew up and then like the world kind of recreated itself and it was that was the 2.0 storyline was you're like, hey, the world's new again. And they revamped like everything. So I jumped in then because it was oh, a okay. game that people wanted to play. That's funny. I actually did never I never knew that. Oh, I, yeah. I it's friends. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. I was just going to say I had friends that loved the um, the um, 11. Yeah. And there was a lot of like, I, I don't know. I feel like they had to play it with like next to like eve online i felt like it was like the second most intimidating mmorpg that's, with eve that's online, a fact like eve online being the most intimidating <laughs> i've actually never that. played eve online but it's one of those games where there's crazy stuff that happens and it's fun to follow that stuff but i never yeah. personally yeah. want to experience it then like my brain looking at that then looked at final fantasy 11 and i was like this looks like like you have to like know what you're because you have different classes and different levels and you have to balance what different things you can be like i'm gonna pick up this other class and go to level like a thousand or something and then go to another class well there's there's a level cap i mean you can only go so yeah, high. yeah it's like a it's like a hundred though it's or high right right it's now higher 14, than, it was higher than level WoW. 80 80 yeah well i guess wow is not that high i guess at the time i felt like it was higher than wow 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 is actually getting was, a level squish they're the next expansion they're squishing everything down where 60 is the max again, I think. Oh, that's good. They need that. They, they got they got two two crazies. So they're just like, let's just reset it all. It's fine. <laughs> I play so I played WoW when it came out, and then have played a couple of expansions here and there. But that's pretty much it. So back back to JRPGs. 
Which is um, the topic, right? So obviously Final Fantasy is important in your life, right? Yeah. Do you, do you have any other uh, JRPGs that are not Final Fantasy that are important to you? Like, uh, Yeah. I mean, I think I own... We, we talked earlier about owning Final Fantasy 6, 3 or whatever in a bunch of different ways. I could say the same thing about Chrono Trigger. Um, every, mm. every time they re-release Chrono Trigger, however they release it, I usually buy it. Sometimes it's on a whim. Sometimes I'm super excited. Whatever. It's always the same game, too. So it's not like it's different, but... I, I like the right. music. I like the characters. I like the artwork. It's a Akira Toriyama from you know you did Dragon Ball and, and actually Dragon Quest and stuff. So it's really, I'm really into to that. So I would say that Chrono Trigger, to a lesser extent Chrono Cross, which was the non-related sort of related PlayStation One sequel. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's that. Yeah. And then would you say that they are some of them are harder to get into than say like. Um, so let's say let's take um, like a Final Fantasy game or Chrono Trigger, and push it up against like The Witcher. Do you think that The Witcher is easier to get into? Do you think that it would? Do you think that Chrono Trigger puts up a more of a, like a harder cl- hill to climb because of the translation and localization over to like from Japan over to North America kind of thing? Oh, uh, I I think. I think Chrono Trigger for some people would be hard to get into just for the graphics alone. Um, and a lot of, a lot of it I would say is game style. I mean, Chrono, Chrono Trigger is, there's no voice acting. There's a lot of reading. And I know not everything in, in the Witcher is voice acted either, but a lot of it is. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would say what's interesting about the Witcher is the world itself is super grand but the story, I don't think, is as grand as Chrono Trigger's. Whereas Chrono Trigger, you're like you start in this little like, seaside house, and then you're going to like a the little uh, the there's a little a fair. It was a fair that you go to or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. And then by the end of the game, you're like dimension hopping between fighting gods and whatever. So it's like little things that grow into you have to save the whole universe for whatever. Whereas The Witcher just kind of it's a grand world, a fully fleshed out world, but you're you're stuck sort of in that world where it never really expands out of it story wise. Yeah, that's I I could see that. I can definitely see that in regards to like um Witcher's story not being as like like yeah it makes sense. I mean, you, and there is a mission in The Witcher where you have to kill rats. <laughs> I was, well, uh, yeah, that that's a popular trope. I mean, come on, you got to put it in there. Yeah, <laughs> but, my favorite trope. It's like, oh, hello, brave warrior. We have rats in the basement. <laughs> Do you mind stopping them? That's every Western RPG. That that are like those random fetch quests. Like, hey, could you go get me like four flowers? Like, why why can't you go get you four, four flowers? Like, why am I getting you four flowers? Yeah. I think one of my my favorite quests though in any Western RPG was in Bard's Tale. Where the barrel maker hires you to go out and break like twelve barrels, <laughs> so he's like, "Yeah, it like, works really slow. I just I need you to go out and break just like a ton of barrels for me." Oh yeah, that's, that's good. It's like uh, he's he's making himself have work for the future. Absolutely, that's why he that's what he was yeah. doing. He wanted he wants more work. People need barrels. Now I was just thinking like with JRPGs with because so you you like them as a child Mm -hmm. you still like them as an adult yes um but we have a generation of kids that now are just growing up to like just say like Fortnite generation or what have you where they're playing um games that 
may not have had such a slower pace as it was for the um, JRPGs? And do you think that that generation would have a hard time getting into a more long-form type of JRPG like Final Fantasy 3.6? I would, in general, I would say yes. I mean, I think when when JRPGs started back in the you know late 80s, early 90s, uh, it was a perfect time because video game video gaming wasn't as evolved. There weren't as many genres. I mean, the first first person shooter had only just happened like around around that time with Doom and Wolfenstein mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it wasn't this massive genre of running down hallways killing people. And I I feel like that sort of changed the game for most video gamers. Where before then the fast paced games were th- games like um. Like, uh, what, Space Invaders or something, where something's constantly moving and you're right. having to shoot, but it's just on the screen. It's not like a running and running and gunning things down. Um, so what was neat about JRPGs is it was a different kind of game than anything else at the time. Uh, and it was one of the first games that really kind of told a story. Like, you know, Mario tells a story, but the story is move to the right, jump on things, and save a princess. That's... That's what Mario amounts to story-wise. That's why it doesn't really ever work as like a movie because that's as, that's as deep as it gets for the most part. Right, yeah. Um, whereas, you know, we have games, well, even back then, you have RPG-like games uh, like Zelda, which I don't really consider an RPG, but it's an adventure game that I feel like sort of led into RPGs where the, there's a more grand scale and story being told than just like, hey, you're this guy. You have to jump on this guy, and that's it. So, for sh- I think there's definitely those, those kids out there, uh, and I think Pokemon is really what's keeping, I would say, traditional JRPGs alive today with turn-based battles and whatnot. And I don't know what it is. I think it's the the magic of collecting animals and how they're so cute or whatever uh, that's kind of keeping that alive. And there are other modern JRPGs, like there's like with Octopath or whatever, Octo Traveler, mm-hmm. um, and they exist, but I definitely feel like those are more niche games, uh, and not mainstream. Like it definitely used to be. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I own Octopath Traveler and, uh, it's fun. I, I, I didn't like jive with me. I have a, I have a problem where I buy games and then, um, yeah. And then just let them collect us. I don't play with them. Um, it's 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 unlike uh, toys that take up physical real estate. My games take up a ethereal space so that my my collection is not visible, but uh, it is there and it is scary. I own a um, a lot of games, but uh, Octopath Traveler is one of those games that I own and I have played it. Um, I played the demo, enjoyed it enough to buy it, and it is it is like a modern aesthetic to a JRPG that's got its own little um, quirkiness. With I I do like that because it's Octo. There's eight, and you get to play different. There's different people. paths. There and there's different paths. Yes, eight paths. You, do you travel and, too? And you travel. You travel on the eight paths. That's amazing. It lives <laughs> up to its name. Happily named. 
It is aptly named, which is it. It is a it's a it's a it's a fun little uh, game, as it were. So that's good. Be our memories. So now we'll move into like our the the history of what is a JRPG. So I actually want to first discuss about what the differences between a JRPG and a WRPG are, and kind of explain those definitions before we get into like um, JRPGs, how they came around and existed. Um, so uh, a JRPG. Uh, stands for Japanese role-playing game and a WRPG is a Western role-playing game. Um, generally Japanese role-playing games or originate in Japan, which is where a lot of the East Asian games um, come from. And then uh, WRPG, uh, Western role-playing game is uh, originates in Europe or in uh, North America. And, I, I think there's a, a few differences um, between the two. Uh, so if, if anyone who's listening has never played a JRPG or played a WRPG and are wondering why we keep throwing around these terms. So a JRPG is definitely art styled differently, where uh, a JRPG tends to have a more anime look about them, where uh, a WRPG tends to be more realistic um, so a comparison that can be drawn that's pretty distinct is uh, taking Cloud of the Final Fantasy uh, infamy and having his very large sword be present, right? It's a very unrealistic sized sword um, versus um, Geralt's of Rivia from Witcher, his sword. It's very sized appropriately for um, <laughs> Geralt. I also feel that in WRPGs, they tend to be more like gritty and darker um and that's just kind of me where i think about like the the ones that i play um so i play a lot of computer rpgs which are tactical third person and i also play a lot of like traditional um witcher type rpgs like um witcher fable and those and those all tend to be very realistic and just dirty i feel like where jrpgs tend to be more colorful so the overall story of jrpgs generally are more sweeping than a wrpg which may be more grand but initially may not start out that way Uh, for example many jrpgs um, that we can think of have broad stories about the end of the world usually put up right at the beginning of the story Um, so i I think even in some of the final fantasy games it starts out with like a narration being like the world's ending (laughs) all the elements the the different crystals representing the elements have gone missing you gotta go find them Um, where like the wrpg might have a story that starts out with like who's poisoning the iron or why are the rats loose um uh, i can think of for example while it's more of a more of an action RPG, the Baldur's Gate for the PlayStation 2 Dark Alliance, where the first mission you have is you go to a tavern and they're like, there are rats in the sewer. And you're like, I best gotta go stop that. <laughs> and it's like, kill 30 rats. Also in that vein, though, JRPGs usually concentrate on the main story where a WRPG will have the world be more opened up and have many and sometimes too many side quests to, to tackle. Um, so most JRPGs, especially playing like I recently was playing through Final Fantasy 15. Tends to stick more to the st- general story while there are side quests. Tends to stick more to the, the the main story. Whereas with like the Skyrim, where you can literally probably spend multiple hours doing one side quest versus doing the main story. So the the structure of the individual towns also are very different. Uh, where in JRPGs, people generally mill about in one area, and WRPGs. They tend to kind of move around and, and 
sort of an internal clockwork schedule where you know, oh, it's this time they'll be at this place. Uh, and sometimes to even start quests, you have to be at a certain time of day at a certain place. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot, of, a lot of that, a lot more of that, I will say, going on. It's not exactly a one for one, but that is the, definitely the general gist. Uh, so in a JRPG, it's very easy to find someone. You're like, oh, I want to go do this quest. I want to get this item. So I have to start to this, talk to this person and then I know it will move on from there. So it's a lot more straightforward. And the side quests that uh, you were mentioning earlier, yeah. uh, they, they do still tend to kind of have something to do with the main storyline in most JRPGs. Oh, yeah. Uh, where, like, while you might not be actually com- completing the main story quest, the side thing will, is pertaining to it. Whereas Western RPGs, you'll find a side person who's like, hey, my cat's stuck in this tree. You're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay, I guess I can help out with that. That, that sort of thing. Or like a, another example from Skyrim where it's like one of the side quests is get married. <laughs> like it's like doesn't necessarily change the storyline. It's just now you're married. Now you're married. <laughs> or like every Bioware game where we'll have multiple romances at the same time that really have no. I mean, I, I, I'm a big Bioware fan, though, like Dragon Age Origins was, I feel like the best of the Dragon Age games. I feel like Dragon Age two had far too many like it was just i feel like it was just a little overdone there but but that was one of the things like where they're like every character that you interacted with wanted to romance you beyond saving the world they're they're like okay we're joining your group to save the world but also have you thought about romance yes i have so eastern role-playing video games are are just that um they're role-playing games that were developed in east asia specifically most of them were developed in japan hence the distinction of being calling jrpgs with that um as i've kind of gone over before um anything that's been developed european or north america is generally considered an rpg or a wrpg for the sakes of comparing it versus a jrpg so generally, I actually don't hear WRPG as as a term versus I hear JRPG as a term versus WRPG. So I, especially, I think as an American, I, I it's just like, do, do you want a role playing game or do you want a Japanese role playing game? That's the well, distinction think, there. Yeah, I think that makes sense though because we are in the Western world. So yeah. I don't think in, in Japan they probably don't call them JRPGs. <laughs> <laughs> They might. <laughs> they might. <laughs> um, so Japan's role-playing games um, appeared on plenty of different PCs and consoles. Um, you know, the original Nintendo, the PC 9800 series that was in Japan. Um, however, due to hardware constraints and differences between American systems and Japanese systems, very few Japanese games were brought, computer games were brought over to the American market. Um, and if they were brought over to consoles such as the... Um, NES or in Genesis and often they would be um, plagued with either translation issues or they could be plagued with localization issues so usually if the game was on a Japanese PC it would eventually come out at some point but it would probably be ported over to the NES or Genesis the Japanese text is also much more intricate than English script and the games were also developed with a higher display resolution to accommodate the script which would influence how the games were designed. Also interestingly enough it was western role-playing games that influenced how Japanese role-playing games evolved. The Wizardry series which was first released in 1981 and translated in 1985 for the Japanese market became a huge game over there and was extremely popular and was much more influential than it was there than it was here being the the US market. By the uh, 
1990s, JRPGs have started to shift over to the next generation of game consoles and computers. The Super Nintendo, or Super Famicom in Japan, saw a lot of games such as sequels in the Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy, Mother, Megami Tensei, and Fire Emblem series, as well as new original titles such as Chrono Trigger. However, the US market still hadn't quite caught onto the trend. While games like Pokemon did incredibly well, other games like Earthbound did not get the traction that Nintendo of America had hoped for. The game of the 1990s arguably became more and more complex as systems such as the Super Nintendo were often able to handle larger sized games. I think it's also interesting to note that um, like the Nintendo is uh, manufactured in Japan as with the um, Sega Genesis, like they both had Japanese versions of their companies. So, and the Nintendo, when it was making a game for the Japanese, it was making it for the Famicom, which stood for, I've figured out family computer and then became Famicom. I, I know I'm, I'm like, it's not that much of a mystery. It's called it a portmanteau. <laughs> That's Zach's favorite word. Just I, I do I'm use like, that word por- a lot. <laughs> portmanteau is like his obsessive word. Sounds like a city in Rhode Island, though, right? It does. It does. It, it's a great word. It does. I, we have a lot of weird cities in Rhode Island. Um, the uh, new systems like the PlayStation and Sega Saturn helped in- introduce audiences to games that were far more grand in scale like Final Fantasy VII, thanks to the introduction of optical discs. Final Fantasy VII was also incredibly successful in the United States, which grossed over $16.5 million in its first week. I, there is, there is, I don't think the Sega Saturn got to $16.5 million in the entirety of its run. No, it didn't. <laughs> if it did, then we'd be talking more about the Sega Saturn than we did in our one episode. Uh-oh. And uh, at the time, this was better than most Hollywood blockbuster movies. And I feel like the beginning of when people decided that it was time to invest in games. Um, The momentum for the game kept building and is often regarded as a landmark game that helped revitalize the JRPG genre in the United States. Uh, The late 90s also saw the birth of a growing market of RPG development tools, such as RPG Maker, which then allowed for indie developers to begin exploring the genre. I think that we also talked about um, this in a few earlier episodes where we talk about size and hardware restrictions, where a, a game can be very grand in scope, but if you don't have the right hardware to physically store that game's data you will run into constrictions so which is why uh, an nes a nintendo entertainment system or like a sega genesis game may have restrictions because they were limited to their cartridges where the playstation um, introduced the the cd-rom which allowed more storage space and thus a more grand game i guess the grandest of game now is the like the MMOs that Mike plays where the, the storage space is uh, infinite, yeah, as it were. Yeah, it's on servers and, somewhere in Japan or something. I don't know. <laughs> and they just go on. It goes on forever. The game can be as large as it needs to be, which is like, for a game that for games genre that discusses scope. I think it's and like that are grand in that scope. I think it's interesting that they would benefit quite dramatically from a medium that gave them a greater scope. Yeah. And and to to one just quick note on Final Fantasy VII and just to talk about how big of a success it was is that it did actually see unofficially in China a port to the original NES in Famicom. 
some some bootleg Chinese company ported the entirety of Final Fantasy VII to the original NES. <laughs> it is wonderful, <laughs> and they did a good job. I mean, it's broken. It's a broken game, but it's in a bootleg. But it, they they you know ambitious. But that just shows you know you know people out there really. really it was a popular that. game. Well, yeah, I think at the time too. It was different from most of the JRPGs because it wasn't set in like a fantasy medieval kind of setting. It was sort of a dystopian future, like yeah. cyberpunk kind of kind of setting. And now by the mid 2000s, JRPGs are starting to gain a little more uh, popularity with more titles being brought over to the United States. It also saw the introduction of some popular series such as Kingdom Hearts and the Dot Hack games and the Persona games. Uh, there was also a decline, though, around 2006 with the release of wrpgs such as fallout elder scrolls and mass effect being considered higher rated than the jrpgs that were coming over so there was a slight market dip in jrpgs just thanks to wrpgs um becoming better (laughs) you know and becoming a little more accessible to to american audiences um though eventually around the time of 2010 or so um it kind of popped back up with resurgence of titles um in the jrpg genre thanks to xenoblade chronicles persona 4 and even more kingdom hearts games because they just kept turning those out and with the weirdest names oh yeah like 35 8 over 2 dream drop distance birth (laughs) birth yeah there's like a math (laughs) equation in half of them like yeah 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 it's like 365 over 2.5 days all over 2 point all over plus or minus the square root yeah, yeah. I feel like you guys are having a conversation that I'm not involved in. <laughs> <laughs> That's Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> That's what I feel like. Just <laughs> well, it, we'll talk about Kingdom Hearts in a future episode. But it's just also kind of ridiculous to me that the three main games, which are on Sony platforms, do not follow a story that you could easily play one to through three no. and yeah. get what's going on because you need to play like four games in between one and two for four different systems. And one of them, I think, was a mobile game, like for yeah, for, for, like, a, for like a phone. Yeah, it's like we're going to release this game to a very specific audience and it's going to be incredibly plot. It's going to be crucial to the story. I, I, I do think it's, uh, I, I do hope though, um, to talk about like influencing. So we, we discussed that wizardry inspired JRPGs. And then I hope that the, the grand story and the dollars that they were making inspired WRPG makers to then go back and be like, we need to, we need to fix these games. We need to make them more grand in scope and thus see like a um, and then seeing the inc- like seeing better WRPGs. Well, not better. I I mean, there are some I feel like every decade has good and bad games, but definitely more um, profitable WRPGs. <laughs> and I always think that there is a distinct difference between a game that is good and a game that is profitable because a game does not need to necessarily be good to be profitable and a game doesn't necessarily need to be profitable to be good. That's true. That's a fact. And I I did I did enjoy the the dot hack anime when it came out, but then I think that it, it got too much for me cuz I think it, it came out when I was younger <laughs> and then like I really wanted to be into it. And then now there's like a million episodes and I could never get into it because there's like so many different dot hack slash version. That's it. That is a game based around an anime based around an MMO that doesn't exist. Correct. Right. It's a single yeah. player RPG about an MMO, but it's not an MMO. It's just emulating an MMO. I, I 
Fantastic. I, I wish the dot hack MMO was a real MMO. <laughs> I I do hope that like when we get to the I mean, I think we're close to the VR technology that is displayed in dot hack. And I feel like when we get to that level where if you die in the game, you die in real life happens. I I, I want to play that game. Like that's like <laughs> top of my list. So uh, to talk about some notable JRPGs, uh, we would be remiss to not discuss Dragon Quest, which also is known as Dragon Warrior. Um, it was developed by Chunsoft originally and published in Japan by Enix and in North America by Nintendo. Uh, was developed originally for the family computer, Famicom, uh, in 1986 and then was released for the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, in 1989. Uh, the game... It, was heavily inspired by games such as Wizardry, Ultima, and the creator, who is uh, Kochi Nakamura, his own game, uh, the Portopia Serial Murder Case, which was very unlike Dragon Quest, which was an, it was an adventure game where you solved uh, murder scenes and used a text parser to do so. The game was developed to be uh, simplistic when it came to the interface, but to concentrate on the grand story. And it was a commercial success in Japan, uh, though there was a tabletop role-playing game that my fiance actually loves called Dragon Quest in North America. So in order to not get into trademark wars, they released as Dragon Warrior in North America up until 2002, where Square Enix took the Dragon Quest name as a trademark from presumably Hasbro. <laughs> I think has Dragon Quest, the tabletop game, or Parker Brothers, which is Hasbro, I think, now. Anyway. Everything's um, going to be Hasbro in the future. It's true. Or, which will probably uh, eventually be Disney. Who knows? Which will eventually be Disney. <laughs> um, the game uh, Dragon Quest ha- was... Uh, very traditional type of uh, role-playing game where you play as a hero who needs to save the land from a villain, and you're usually accompanied by um, a party. And the game outlined and created many aspects that were influential into future games. And they, it featured one-on-one combat, a limited inventory. However, Dragon Quest, the original game, by itself is not really a great game. The game built up it on itself and had has led the to a more successful franchise, uh, which the biggest hurdle that Dragon Quest encountered was with the North American audience and how when it was released on consoles, the console gamers were not ready for RPGs when it came out. Uh, Zelda, which also came out in 1986, did far better than Dragon Quest did, though Zelda didn't have levels and it didn't wasn't turn-based and it wasn't in what we were discussing earlier, uh, overly complicated to the consumer at the time. Um, but since then, there's been 11 Dragon Quest games released, with the latest one being released in 2017 for modern generations. Yeah, another game series that I feel you have to talk about is the Final Fantasy series, a series that I've tried to explain to my wife that how the numbering systems work and how none of the games are even remotely associated with each other, except for sometimes they are. Uh, But it's developed by Squaresoft, which later became Square Enix. Uh, The first game was developed for the Famicom system in 1987. It was eventually brought to America in 1990. So far, there have been 15 games in the main series, with the 16th just recently being announced. And it's actually being done by the same person who's doing 14, uh, Yoshi P. 
So he's doing both of those. Fun fact. Uh, there's also been plenty of spinoff games, such as Final Fantasy Mythic Quest for the Super Nintendo or Final Fantasy Adventure for the Game Boy, which was part of the Seiken Densetsu series, uh, which is something we'll get into in a bit. The first game was developed by Hironobu Sakaguchi. I'm pretty sure I, I pronounced that right. It's, yeah, you do better after than being I do. Refused by, <laughs> after being refused by his employer Square for a long time. Square changed their mind when Dragon Quest was released and saw success. Each of the Final Fantasy games are entirely different from each other, with each of their story being independent from one another, with the exception of Final Fantasy XIII 2. There's also Final Fantasy X and X 2. And I think there's like a X 3 as well. But that's not X, XI, and twelve. That's X, X, two, and ten. It's bizarre. The games are all tied together by similar elements, such as the creation of parties to solve epic quests in the fantasy setting, most of the games have incredibly fleshed out characters who have deep backstories, often tragic. The games also have familiar elements throughout them, such as the naming of characters like Sid, Biggs, and Wedge, uh, or the creatures known as Chocobos or other popular games. They tend to reuse a lot of the same monsters throughout all the games, like Marlboros, which have bad oh, breath. Yeah. That's like their, that's their attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so those are being, that's like a thing that ties the games together despite having completely different stories yeah. and worlds. Uh, so a, a game that Mike is a huge fan of, Chrono Trigger, um, came out in 1995. It was developed and published by Square. And Chrono Trigger was released for the Super Nintendo in 1995. And then a remastered version came out for the PS1 in 1999. And the, the remastered version, I believe, has like full motion video um, animations and stuff like that. The game takes place in a world very similar to ours, Earth, with different eras such as prehistoric age, middle ages, and a post-apocalyptic future. And in the game, your characters, Chrono and Marie, uh, frequently have to travel through time to obtain more allies and gather equipment to help them in their quest. And the game features standard role-playing gameplay in that the combat is primarily done via turn-based sequences. Two other games that came out in the Chrono series, there was the first, Radical Dreamers, which was a text-based game released in 1996 via the Super Famicom Satellaview system, which is an add-on for the Super Nintendo that is, it basically was a way you can download games during a very specific broadcast window. Um, a lot of time the game would be accompanied by full dialogue that would have been like, almost like a radio program you would listen to, and... Uh, full orchestrated music that you could listen to because it was being piped in through your phone line. And it acted as a side story to the first game. Uh, Chrono Cross, which, which Mike referenced earlier, also came out in 1999 for the Sony PlayStation. And uh, a third game, Chrono Break, was due out in the early 2000s, but it was canceled. And I think there's still talk about an attempt to bring it out. There but is. like, yeah, every time they mention it, they're like, oh, it's coming along. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> From my understanding, Chrono Cross was made never intending to be anything close to Chrono Trigger. But they didn't think anyone would play it, so they rewrote some of the game story to have ties to Chrono Trigger. But it was <laughs> like originally fun. made to have nothing to do with Chrono Trigger at all. And I was hearing that Chrono Break ended up getting its like part of its story was bled into different Final Fantasy games. That's throughout correct. The years. Yeah. Um, I think it was because they were working on Final Fantasy, uh, one of the Final Fantasy games that why they didn't do Chrono Break because they're like, we're too busy. <laughs> it's like we've got too much on our hands. I I um I really liked Chrono Trigger when I played it. This, it's got the frog in it, right? Yeah, his name is Frog. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a good that's, name. It's a good name. It's an aptly name. named. I I really enjoyed it. I I played it on a, an an emulator, and now I own it on my phone. So I at least bought it so that I can avoid legal fees. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That'll save you. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it'll save me. Lufia, which was uh, developed uh, in was was released in nineteen ninety three and developed by Neverland and published by Taito, the Taito Corporation. There were sequels to Lufia that were released. They were not published by the Taito Corporation. Only the Luf the original one was published under the Taito Corporation umbrella, as it were. It plays very similar to a, a traditional role-playing game, such as the ones that we were just discussing, Final Fantasy and all that, where it's like a 2D character sprite, wanders an environment, um, which is mostly dungeons. Uh, those dungeons have random encounters, which is, are prevalent in a lot of JRPGs, such as Final Fantasy, and are triggered randomly, or they're triggered through like a story particular junction though unlike final fantasy and other jrpgs the battle system in lufia um actually takes place in first person mode where like monsters like fly up in front of you and you can't actually see your people that you control and the attacks and the stats for your people are at the bottom of the screen and uh you kind of fight up or yeah, but their people, you could see them, they're, they're like little sprites are like attached to their like hit points and stuff like that. Unlike where like it goes into like a fighting scene where they're like standing on like a like a floor or something, like a platform or a bridge or boat. Isometric, or, I think is what you're looking Isometric, for. yeah, that's yeah. the word I'm looking for. Word. I just like describing things until the, the word comes around, but thanks for getting that to me because Zach usually just lets me go Ramble. about making, yeah. And the story of Lufia and the Fortress of Doom, which is the first game, is there is a group of enemies looking to subjugate the world, which they generally try to do, and thus four brave warriors are sent to defeat these enemies. Uh, the player of the game plays as these four brave warriors, but ends up like half of the four warriors end up not being able to go forward. And then the game jumps 90 years into the future where you recreate, uh, where you've created your own character who is called the, the, he's called whatever you want to be called and is in the role of the hero. This hero character has a best friend named Lufia, which is the titular character and is a romantic interest and very bossy apparently well another uh series that we we would be remiss if we didn't talk about is the you say mana or mana um it depends how i'm feeling to be honest sometimes i say mana i'm gonna say i feel like i feel like mana is fancy and mana is like it's like caramel or caramel You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's that's wrong. There's only caramel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Mana series, known as Seiken Densetsu in Japan, saw a birth and spinoff of Final Fantasy. The first game, Final Fantasy Adventure, was released in Japan in 1991 as Seiken Densetsu Final Fantasy Gaiden. That's a, that's a mouthful. I'm glad they changed that. It is. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> The sequel, Seiken Densetsu 2, was released in Japan and North America as Secret of Mana. Mana. See, I always say Secret of Mana. That's, That's fine. Like, anyway, in 1993, Seiken Densetsu 3, Trials of Mana, was, really, uh, was released in Japan in 1995 and in America in 2019 as part of the collection of Mana. And Dawn of Mana was released in 2006 on the PlayStation 2 in Japan, 2007 in North America. There are also six spinoff games and four remakes. This series is a departure from other RPGs being an action role-playing game without a turn-based system. So as opposed to entering a battle sequence, you, you fight monsters in real time. As you progress through the game, you learn different magical abilities and game party members. So it's kind of like um, like Zelda and Final Fantasy had a baby. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, ha- it has more, some of the more traditional Japanese role-playing elements to it that, like, Final Fantasy has, but the combat's more akin to, like... That's what all Final Fantasy games are now. Like, Final Fantasy 13, 15, oh, yeah. um, 7 Remake. They're, they're all more action RPGs yeah. now. And Kingdom Hearts is like that, too. Yeah, yeah actually, Kingdom Hearts, I think, is the, the thing that started that transition. Um, and the, the, the last game that we, we want to mention, the last series we want to mention, is the Mother series, also... Um, in America, it was called Earthbound. So in 1989, Mother was developed by the company Ape for the Famicom under the direction of Shigesatsu Itoi and Shigeru Miyamoto. And it was the first game... Um, oh, the first game was never released in the United States, um, but has seen plenty of fan-translated versions that have circulated the reproduction and pirate market for many years. Uh, the sequel, Mother 2, was released in North America as Earthbound in 1995, and a third game was released in Japan in 2006, but has not been brought to North America, despite many attempts and um, letters that the fans have sent to Nintendo asking them to. The game is a major departure from other role-playing games, being primarily set in a modern world and not having a lot of traditional fantasy elements. A lot of the Mother series is more inspired by science fiction and pop culture, um, with much of the game featuring satire pop culture of the time. So a lot of the like Earthbound has satire of the 90s. In Mother, uh, you play as a young boy who's tasked with going on an adventure, often fighting paranormal uh, or otherworldly enemies, such as aliens and robots and such. In the first game, you play as a boy named Ninten. In Earthbound, you play as Ness. And in Mother 3, you play as Lucas. So they kind of just dropped the whole nintendo theming (laughs) that they're going for uh the game has though been heavily influential on later games such as the popular undertale series um of two games i think at this point that was made by toby fox there's like direct connections Um, to those oh yeah yeah um and toby fox was inspired to create undertale by working on an earthbound uh fan hack which was like the earthbound halloween edition i think he called it yeah um which featured some music that's now in earthbound uh in undertale I feel like um, I also feel that like Super Smash Brothers brought Ness. It definitely helped introduce Ness the American to audience yeah. to Ness. Yeah, yeah. Smash yeah. did that. They also, I think, Smash is the reason why uh, people care about. Oh, what are those other games that we just talked about? Fire Emblem. Nobody, I'd never heard of Fire Emblem before playing Super Smash Brothers. Oh yeah, Melee, yeah. You know? Yeah, but then you like research where these characters are coming from, and then you find that they're from these different games. Oh, like the Ice Climbers, and then you want to play those games. And then that's it's it's like Super Smash Bros. is like the gateway drug to Nintendo, and I think Nintendo knows yeah. that. Oh yeah. Oh, they hundred percent, hundred percent know that, and they anticipate it. Earthbound's um, also interesting because it was the reason it didn't sell well in America was mostly on part due to Nintendo. They did not know how to market the game. Um, well, Nintendo of America did not know how to market the game. Nintendo of Japan did a good job marketing the game. It was very successful in Japan, but Nintendo of America was like American audiences don't know how to play RPG games, so let's make the game wickedly expensive by bundling the entire prima strategy guide with the release of the game and releasing it in this massive box that's going to be charged like forty dollars more than the average game for some reason it was like 130 dollars yeah it was a lot yeah and no one wanted that (laughs) and that's your that's the the purpose of researching your target demographic because that's right you need to know what people are willing to spend money on before you localize a game and sell it into a foreign country because if you don't, you're going to get stuck with a lot of units. So uh, JRPGs have also been emerging as of late with the kind of like 
go forward strategy that uh, Japan has discovered is very successful. And those are um, the hunting genre type of games and the Souls-like type of games. Um, the hunting genre, such as Monster Hunter, or the Souls-like games, such as Dark Souls, are a new fresh take on the classic JRPG where there is, I feel like, a more heavier influence on game mechanic and kind of like your... So I know that there's story behind Dark Souls and stuff like that, but I feel like that kind of like the game mechanic or that like that like trick, as it were, of like it being very difficult is kind of like the thing that has made it type of uh, being successful. And same with Monster Hunter with the ability like with the the, I feel like that's a really like kind of like an inventory type of game collection type situation these games still maintain rpg elements such as leveling and inventory management and so are still a type of jrpg but are not traditional jrpgs as they were they're not classic jrpgs they're just a different type of different ones um so any any final thoughts on jrpgs they're fun you want to say mana one more time mike mina manos the hands of fate yeah oh good good call i like that so uh we'll move into our uh final segment here where we'll do our byweight pass segment where we talk about games that we are that are coming out or are recently out that we are excited about buying waiting or passing on we're always excited about passing on games because can you not we get 100 percent hyped to to not buy something <laughs> yeah we're like woo. Can't wait to not put money into this. <laughs> uh, uh, Mike, do you want to go f- uh, first in regards to a game that you might be excited about buying, waiting, or passing on? Oh man, I mean, there's there's, there's a lot. So the the fir- the first thing right now that's in my mind uh, is I'm, I'm at that point in MMO transitions between the two games where I'm starting to wane on Final Fantasy and. I'm starting to look more at World of Warcraft because they're coming up with an expansion. And that's that's like the cycle of MOs. I, I play right. WoW when an expansion comes out, and then Final Fantasy will come out of the expansion, and it's kind of bounced back and, and forth between the two. So right now we're we're just on the cusp of me looking forward to uh, a new World of Warcraft expansion. I'll, I'll level up to, to the max, and then I'll, I'll probably play it for a little while and get, get bored with it again. So I'm looking forward to doing that for sure. <laughs> And so you'll buy the the newest expansion coming out? Oh, there's no question that I, if I'll buy it. It's how long am I going to play it? <laughs> that's that's fair. That's and the good... answer the answer is at least until I hit level. I feel like I owe it to my character to get to the level cap. I don't have to play it after that, but I have to get to the level cap. Do Do you have a Do you have a specific? So I. <laughs> I, I'm not an idiot. Like I understand that you can have multiple characters in an MMO, but do you have any particular uh, character or tune that you have a particular fondness for? Oh yeah, you... yeah. I mean, I've, I've put. I don't, I don't even want to hit because you can look your played time. I have. I have oh, no nice. desire to see what my played time is on this character, but it's my. Um, right now, he's max level human paladin. Um, he was like he wasn't my first character I ever made, but he was the first one that I stuck with and like hit level cap. And I've had a lot of fun adventures with him. Like, I've met a lot of cool people playing as him. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like as long as as long as long he's still level cap, I, I feel like those adventures are still kind of alive in some weird sense. That's nice. What about for Final Fantasy? Do you have a, a particular character you have fondness for? Oh, the one with the hat, right? Oh, yeah. Oh. I, I play... Well, so, the thing about Final Fantasy is, is you, you make a character and you switch jobs. Where in, in World of Warcraft your character and your job are like the same thing. And if you want to play a different 
different classes, what they call it in that game. You have to make a whole new character. Whereas in Final Fantasy, I'm just my character, and I can as soon as I pick up a different weapon, suddenly I'm I'm that job. But my uh, yeah, so actually they share the same name, which is uh, Edelhin, which is a name I came up with in high school because I was reading the Silmarillion at the time, and in the back of that book is an elf like glossary of elf words and what they mean, and that was elf child. So I, I just put them together, and I came up with this very Lord of the Rings esque name that I've always used. For forever, and you and you were calling me the nerd for playing D anD. D. I'm not saying I'm not. Uh, um, I actually I had a, a I had a dwarf that I played in World of Warcraft. My first dwarf that I ever played, and he never made it past level twenty. And I spent my majority of my time playing World of Warcraft, uh, convincing people to buy me drinks at the inn, or giving me ghosts, or just giving me money. All right. I mean, that's the way to play it. That's your end game right there. I I would occasionally would drink as much beer as I could to make the intoxication effect come on. And then I would go and murder bears. It's pretty much how I played WoW. So I um, am excited about uh, Baldur's Gate 3 that is uh, coming out. Uh, So it's set to release October 6th, which is exciting. I think it got pushed back by a week to October 6th. So Actually, by the time of this release, it should be already out. And it's being developed and published by Larian, who are the same people who brought Divinity and Divinity 2. I'm very excited about this game being released and have actually been deliberately avoiding any gameplay information at all, except for the stuff that I saw uh, when I was doing when we were doing PAX. Um, so they had some PAX videos that I watched, and that's pretty much it. Um so I watched the gameplay for when we went to PAX, and then I've just been, from what I saw, I, I'm getting, uh, like, modern Neverwinter Nights vibe from it, which is pretty exciting. Um, Baldur's Gate is a very important game to my life. Um, it is probably one of the games that kind of reiterated my love of role-playing games and Dungeons and & Dragons at the same breath. Um, it... I'm still playing it. Like I'm, I think I talked about it being my recently played game the last episode. Um, so it's a great game. It's a great story, and pretty much will buy anything that says Baldur's Gate on it, except if it's an improperly printed shirt. There was a shirt <laughs> that got sent to me on Facebook, and instead of saying the Heartlands, which is where Baldur's Gate is, it is it says the Highlands, and I I'm like I'm not gonna wear. That's no, and Mike knows his T-shirts. Mike understands. What is that? The sort is that in the Sort Coast? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I uh, yeah, my dad and I played Baldur's Gate the first two games together. Like we would sit next to each other and decide PC like what ones. characters to to be with and like where to go and things like that. We had a lot of fun playing those games together. The PC versions? Yeah, PC version. Yeah, those are the superior games. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Popping in discs whenever you got to the certain story point it was a lot yes. of fun. So yeah. it was like six discs for the first. It was game. like six discs, yeah, absolutely. But and Not then there was expansions yeah. like Shadows of Alm or whatever, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there was um, Baldur's Gate, and then there was Tales of the Sword Coast. That was it. Yes, that was. And it. then there was uh, Siege of the Dragon Spear, which came out with Beam Dog, so not a true like classic game. And then there was Baldur's Gate two, and then Throne of Ball, and. I actually, I've mentioned this before, I've played Baldur's Gate 2 before I played Baldur's Gate 1. Um, I actually had to 
because I, I just bought random games because I was a child. So I, was, I just played <laughs> Baldur's Gate 2. So I played Baldur's Gate 2, played Baldur's Gate 1, and then got into like the Icewind Dale, Icewind Dale 2 um, series. I really loved Icewind Dale. What's funny is the game kind of converted to third edition with me. So like when the game started using third edition rules instead of second edition rules, I was changing over to playing third edition D&D. So it kind of like, I think I was a little ahead of it because I think they released a little behind the schedule because once they were it doesn't i really matter what games use for the rules but it, it's it's fun so uh zach what about you yeah so the game that i am excited about is a game called graven which is coming out in 2021 um currently doesn't have an exact release date but uh graven is described as a game where you play as a quote-unquote wrongfully convicted man of faith and explore a quote-unquote dark fantasy world It is being developed by Slipgate Ironworks and published by 3D Realms and 1C Entertainment, 3D Realms being the 3D Realms of Duke Nukem fame. And it gives me very strong, like, classic Elder Scroll vibes, like, even pre-Morrowind classic Elder Scroll vibes, Um, as well as also looking like a bit of an update to the formula of games such as Strife, which was a first-person role-playing game based on the Doom engine. And uh, the character designs are going to be done by Chuck Jones, who worked on Duke Nukem 3D and Half-Life. And also, uh, it's going to feature the voice talent of Stephen White, who has worked on games like Blood and Fire Emblem and Dusk, which I was recently playing. Very, very good game. And he's got a very good, deep, scary voice for a game like this. Um, I'm going to put it down as a buy. I love retro revival style games, and um, I usually give most of those games a try. And this game is giving me those type of vibes. Um, and I especially love games like Strife and the classic Elder Scrolls games and also games like Hexen and Heretic. And this is all kind of feeling like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to giving this a try. Those are great wow. games. Hexen and Heretic. Love those games. I love I love Hexen and Heretic. Yeah, those are fantastic games. Uh, that's going to be uh, it for our JRPG episode uh, featuring Mike Case. Uh, we appreciate uh, Mike joining us. And yeah, uh, I know it's uh, uh, we we tend to be I, we have we have a method to our madness, but sometimes it's it's very much madness when somebody, especially somebody joining us from the outside <laughs> comes in. Um, <laughs> this was the perfect amount of madness. I'm very perfect. happy to be here. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Was, Thank I'm, you again, Mike, for joining us. I'm we're, honored we're to have been on. So once again, um, Mike reviews toys and also unboxes things, which is my personal favorite, but you, you can watch them for whatever you would like. And also does a visual podcast, as it were, called Bots and Shots. And all of his content is very good. It's very um, produced very well and is uh, a great and a joy to watch. I've been watching him for, I, we were talking about it earlier, for a, a while. Uh, so a couple of years now, at least. And uh I'm always excited to uh, see one of his episodes drop into my feed. So it's a, a it was an honor doing this with him. And um, so hopefully you will, who are listening to this, uh, check him out and watch some of his videos and subscribe, like, share, and do all those things that we need everybody to do because we live in a system ruled by robots. Oh, yeah. And call <laughs> to action. You got to do that. Yeah. I hated doing action. that when I started. I hated it every time. But it's super um, important to do. Right. So we're going to do ours now. (laughs) Uh, So there's many ways to uh, contact us, listen to us, and support us. And uh, I'll do it. Do you want to do that? Did you do it? I can do it. All right. You can do it. So tell us about things to 
tell us about how to contact us, listen to us, and support us. So if you want to contact us, listen to us, and support us, there's, as Seth said, there's plenty of ways. If you want to contact us, you can do so by opening up the best email client of your choosing. Personally, I like to use... Um, you know outlook or whatever but who knows maybe you're maybe you're like uh maybe you're like a person who still has a um you know some old 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 style you know bbs system that you can use to to dial into like a modem somewhere uh (laughs) anyway you know send us an email to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com uh because you know best way to contact us is just by keep typing that name uh send us a send us an email letting us know what you think of the podcast we, we'd really appreciate it if you do send us an email you'll be entered into a chance to win a free game when we eventually do the drawing again um seth has a massive list of free games that you can peruse and you'll you'll have a chance of winning that if you win so i actually uh, i actually forgot about that mike if you want a free game because you're on our show oh, you can go shit. and look at this list and you can get a free game awesome um, i'll definitely do that and so should awesome. everybody else. That's right. After, that's right. Well, everybody else has to write us feedback. We have to give them <laughs> yeah, feedback. Right. I'm saying, do whatever you need to do. Um, and yeah, if, if, if you want to also, you can visit our website. You can go to the contact section. That's another way to contact us. Uh, we have contact section. It's a internet form. It goes to our mailbox. It works the same as email. It's magical. We also have plenty of social media outlets to reach out to us by. We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram. We have a Facebook. Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Instagram and Facebook are Classic Gaming Brothers. So check us out on all those things. If you want to listen to us, well, guess what? We're available on almost every podcasting app out there. If there's a podcasting app that we are not on that you are aware of, like a secret app that's hidden somewhere, let us know. We'll try to get on it as best as we can. That's a classic gaming promise. So uh, yeah. Also, we have a we have a Twitch if you want to watch us. We don't stream regularly, if almost at all sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, that's Classic Gaming Brothers. We have my view for the Twitch, which is VS classic gaming brother v as in victor um and we also have a youtube channel classic gaming brothers where we upload episodes of this podcast as well as uh some archives of our stream it's not really a active youtube channel like mike's um we're not like always on there we don't do unboxing videos so maybe someday (laughs) they're fun yeah very easy you just take things out of a box yeah, I've I have a limited run game coming at some point and I was going to do an unboxing for that when it gets here, but yeah. Yeah, whatever uh, that might be. Um if and if Mike if you ever want to play on the Twitch with us and stream stuff, um yeah. you're more than welcome to play games with us sure. on the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once and again, we don't do it very often. <laughs> no, and we're not very good at it. Uh <laughs> If you want to support us, there's also plenty of ways you can. Uh, First and foremost, make sure to tell three friends. If you tell three friends, that's a great way to support us. As Seth likes to say, if you like something, you tell three people. If you don't like something, you don't you tell way more. Uh, So (laughs) that's that's you know that's the trick. Uh, So just tell three friends. They'll tell three friends, and they'll go from there, and it'll avalanche into a massive fan community eventually or you should tell them that you don't like them and they'll tell more people i'm just saying and then the the name's out there (laughs) that's right no no such thing as bad publicity that's true that is true that is true that's why that's why we also tell them to tell more if they don't like it (laughs) it's not this awful podcast terrible just go look at it yeah <laughs> and, and you can follow us on all of our social media outlets you can uh you know like ring bells subscribe do all those magical things we also have a store on our on our website if you want to pay for our shirt you're <laughs> certainly welcome to you don't need to <laughs> we just appreciate everyone listening you know everyone listening you're already doing the support right there so that's that's just how to support us even more so 
Uh, and those are the things. I think that's everything. Is there anything else, Seth? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. I've been Seth. And I've been Mike. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers and Mike. <laughs> and Mike. That's and Mike. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs>